Well, good IT. Here we are. Episode two zero, the big twenty. Yes. Yes, two zero, the ultimate episode. I was watching TV the other day and someone who worked for the Oxford English Dictionary was saying that the word ultimate does not mean the best, it means the last. So we are in the ultimate episode of season one. I guess we're just going to, um, we're going to today touch on those Q&As um, that people have been sending in. But before we do that, I guess we just want to remind people, there's a lot of people you're feeding back that they're enjoying the podcast that there's certainly a lot more engagement with the podcast um and it's it's obviously hitting home with some people rate us review us on your favorite podcast platform put us out there retweet us share us on facebook whatever we just want to um to build the uh, the community of people coming together to talk it, and no anthony ben brown it is not a congregation it is not a ministry we just want to build a community the other thing to remember is Redbubble. I know it may sound a little bit pretentious, but we do have merch and that's just, you know, ways for you to get the brand out for us and people find out about us. You know, you're drinking your from your coffee cup or wearing your hoodie or whatever it is you're doing. So look for us on redbubble.com. Any money that we make from that goes back into the running of the podcast as well. Yeah. And, you know, for those who say, well, what do you need money? Well, every time we do a little bit of an advertising campaign on, on Facebook, it, it costs us money and you know the last one that we did proved to be relatively successful in getting a few more people involved in the conversation some of you who are listening now might be a product of that yeah so so don't feel obliged 100 this is free we do it as a, a labor of love but if you wanted to support us that's how you do it the other thing too is the facebook group it's it's still going brilliantly we've got you know over 150 people a member of that and people are chatting and you can come along and just lurk you don't have to engage but you can see what other people are saying so we invite you to be a part of that and also invite you to follow us on twitter but i've got a question for you b what was your favorite episode so far i think it was the series of episodes actually with anthony van brown i, I love reading a biography and listening to someone's story and their journey is always a highlight for me. So those episodes, I think it was 11, 12 and 13, perhaps, uh, were really interesting. And I really enjoyed the, those chats with Anthony and also where, you know, exploring where he's come from, where he is going to, where he is now, all that sort of stuff, I think is interesting because that's a, the sort of thing that we're trying to unpack, I guess, through this, this series. How about you, T? Yeah, well, just reflecting on the AVB stuff, he definitely has a story, you know, and mm. yes, he was a teenage fundamentalist, but I think what's really interesting about him is not just the LGBTQ factor, but also the fact that he was such a high-profile leader. And I think that was that was what made that one really interesting and uh, really yeah. impacting. Um, but no, mine was a speaking in tongues one. Oh, I loved it. No surprise. Yeah, I just laughed, man, when we were making it. And also I've listened to it a few times and I got to laugh out loud. The the innuendo was unintended. We were not going in there going, you know, let's let's make cunnilingus jokes as much as we can. Not at all. But it just no. we just did. And I loved it. Yeah, yeah, we do. We do like to have a little bit of a laugh along the way, and uh, yeah, we don't. We don't plan. We don't have script writers for our jokes and our and our fun and our I puns. Think, None I of think that. that's obvious. B. I think that's <laughs> obvious that we don't have script writers. <laughs> oh no, I was just pointing that out. Um, yes, you are right. But you know, next season we may be employing script writers. Who knows? The other one that stood out to me as impactful upon me was the Tea Leaves the Revival Center. That one, yep. I didn't realise how much that was going to actually impact me. I thought I was past a lot of that stuff. I, I genuinely thought, ah, oh, the Revival Centre, yeah, left that behind a long time ago. AOG, different different kettle of fish, but the, but the Revival Centre. But, mate, I was genuinely upset and unsettled for a good couple of weeks after we recorded that. And I think going back and listening to it a few times didn't help. But, yeah, mm. I, I really thought I was past that, but obviously not. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think we reflected as we were recording that one, um, you could see how visibly upset and shaken you were by even talking about it. And I think there's a lot of shit coming up for you. But I think the whole series, it's been interesting. I'm the same. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm okay. I can chat about this stuff. And it's dredged up things that I didn't know were there that are still there. I mean, it, it certainly hasn't dealt with it, but it's good to chat about it. Uh, and get it out there a bit. So, and I think that's what people are resonating with on the the Facebook group as well. They often talk about 
hey, this is helping in uh, being able to normalise the abnormal. Yeah, agreed. And and I think one of the things that the whole positive psychology movement has shown us is we don't need to live there. You know, like the whole, I, I don't think it's called negative psychology, but you know what I mean? The traditional psychology thing was, you know, we go back, we unpack it, and then we just keep unpacking it and keep unpacking it. And positive psychology says, no, we unpack it, we process it, we put it away, and then we move on. It's one thing to go back and revisit and have a bit of a laugh and even make a podcast. It's another thing to stay there all week or all the time. I realize that people are at a different point in this process and not everybody has the same experience. But I think it's really important to not stay in the negative any longer than you need to. And I want to stress, I know that there's times to be there and there's a need to be there, but we don't want to stay there forever. No, it's not a healthy or a happy place. And you can overanalyze. And I think that um, you've just got to deal with it. You've got to move on best you can and find your support networks that can help you do that. I think that's that's a really important thing. Finding that balance be between leaving or moving on too early or moving on too slowly, you know. I, 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 don't, I don't have the answer to that. I really don't. But I do think that there is there is a middle ground where we process it, we put it away, we move on. But then having done that, you know, coming back with a, a positive attitude towards it and, and reflecting on it in that way, I think can be a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Everyone at their own pace, no doubt. Lots of lots of downloads. I think, um, T, you posted during the week that we, we hit our 5,000 mark last last weekend. I remember when we got excited at 50 and now we're doing that a day. I got excited when there was one until I realised that one was probably me listening to our first episode. But, you know, that's okay. Look, mate, I think we should jump into these questions. How do you feel? I, I think that would be good. And I guess just before we do jump in, thank you for everybody for sending them in. We've, we've got quite a few. And there's some great questions in here and some ones that have, you know, involved us having to dig a little bit deeper and uh, think about what we're, how we're going to respond. So how about I fire the first one? And this is from Anna on Facebook. And she says, do you think our experiences are unique to the context of the 80s and 90s? Or do you think teenagers today in fundamentalist churches in Australia are experiencing the same culture, behaviours, beliefs and pressures? Yeah, good question. I, I, I really don't know any teenagers in the fundy scene at the moment because um, a lot of my friends, and I imagine your friends too, T, um, the kids are getting a bit older, so they're, they're not really in that funny scene anymore. But I, I would imagine it's similar. I mean, there's there's different pressures, different societal pressures. There's a lot of, um, you hear quite often from evangelical circles, push back on some of the progressive policy of government. And I'd imagine that within that space, there would be a pushback on that progressive policy. So I, I don't know. What do you think about it? Yeah, look, I I think it would be very, very similar. Of course, there's going to be differences. You know, we're talking 20, 30 years later, but I do think it's it's very similar. The scene has changed somewhat because you've got the whole Hillsong thing and you've got, you know, Justin Bieber and, you know, uh, Hayley Bieber and, and uh, Chris Pratt and people like that involved in it now. I mean, we used to get excited at, you know, Tommy Emmanuel and that, that jockey. What was his name? Darren Biedman. Oh, that that's name? right. Yeah, we used to get excited at them. And now these guys have got, Hollywood superstars and pop stars and this kind of thing involved in the scene. And even, I don't know if you remember, but Guy Sebastian from oh, yes. the Australian Idol, I think he's since left. I'm not 100% sure, but I think he has. Yeah, he has. You know, it, it just it just sort of exploded with a lot of this sort of famous people. You know, it was almost like Scientology. So I, I think that there are definitely differences in, in terms of the sheer size and the sheer scale. But I also think that a lot of it is the same because I don't see a lot of evolution in terms of doctrine. I don't see a, t- a lot of evolution in terms of position around social issues and that kind of thing. So I, I would think it would be the same, but like you, I'll throw the caveat in there and say, ultimately, I don't know. Now, I mean, one thing I do know is, is some, I, I can think of two friends up the top of my head, which at my age is good. It's better than one. Um, that go to Pentecostal churches now. And I think they act quite differently in 
that scene when they're mixing with those people than they do when they're with me. And I've seen some of the evidence of that through social media and some of the things they post and then some of the interactions we have when we hang out. So I think there's still definitely a pressure. I mean, these people are in their 40s and perhaps even early 50s. But I think that there is those pressures on that age. So undoubtedly, there would be similar pressures on teenagers. Question number two, and this is for you. Isaac <laughs> from Facebook says, is the congregational church model biblical? Well, Isaac, I actually don't know whether it's biblical, but I, I think the congregational model of anything is quite a positive thing. As long as it's not exclusive, as long as it doesn't block other people out, because the reality is I think that we are a communal people as humans. We don't do well in isolation generally. Some people love isolation, but definitely that um, coming together in the congregation. I like to catch up with mates at a pub. Some people might like to catch up with people at church but again it's about that congregational feeling and whether people are doing that for any positive outcome then i'm okay with that as long as it's not damaging as long as it's not exclusive and as long as it's not a cult i i don't i don't want to alienate isaac with asking this question because you know we we say please everyone's welcome etc but I just want to say, Isaac, my response to that is I, I don't know and I don't care. But it doesn't mean I don't know I don't care about you, Isaac. You're probably awesome. But I, I just, I, I, don't, I don't care. Because for me, the, the trigger word there was biblical. Mm. Is it biblical? I don't know. Probably. But everything's biblical. You know, having, having penis-like donkeys, apparently, in the Old Testament, that is biblical. Having giants that ran around and slept with the daughters of men or whatever, the angels sleeping with the daughters of men and making giants and all that, that's biblical. You know, worldwide floods are biblical. So I don't use that as a measure of whether something is, you know, useful or true or anything like that anymore. So, you know, resonating with what you said, B, I do think that the less of a clergy and more of a laity sort of approach is, is a good thing around spirituality. Yep. So in, in that sense, I would say it, it's a valid question. You know, yep. is the congregational model versus a Presbyterian model better? Yes. But is it biblical? I don't know and I don't care. Yeah, and I think you missed the second half of that scripture. Wasn't it um, appendage of of donkeys and emissions of that of a horse or something like that? Possibly. To, yeah, we used Possibly. to quote that one quite often because it was like, <laughs> chuckle, chuckle. But yeah, very childish. My, my favourite one was, um, and I used to tell people it was my favourite scripture, and I can't remember the reference anymore, but it was the one in the King James where they sit on the wall and eat their own dung and drink oh, their yes. own piss. It said piss, that. and it was like, because yeah. oh, you, you couldn't say piss in church. No. You couldn't say piss off, and yet the Bible says piss. Does it say pisseth? 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 No, there was, piss, yeah, there was another one about pisseth against the yeah. wall. <laughs> this right. one was just drink your own piss, which I've never done. Uh, well, you know. Bear Grylls loves it. I'm going to uh, ask you the next one, which is from Poker, um, again from our Facebook page. So how did your emotional support change between now and within the AOG, within friends, family, church and such? So let's say, who do you ask about your doubts? Do or did you have people whom you would not mind seeing you, seeing you cry? I'm asking about the quality or kind of relationships the church environment was building between its members. Yeah, that's a heavy question. That's a deep question because there's so much to unpack in that. Yeah. But I have always been the sort of person that had solid friendships and solid relationships. And so when I left the church, when I left Christianity, I left a lot of people behind. And I tell you, there was a gap in my mm. life. But I, I did a runner. I changed countries, changed jobs, changed countries, just completely did a runner. So yeah. I went over into a sort of an expat scene uh, overseas where a lot of people were in the same position where they'd left everything behind and were looking to connect with people. And so I quickly made some really good friends. And it, it's very different, I think, being back in Australia, for example, because when you step out of church, a lot of people already have their social networks and they have their friendships and it's very hard to, to connect but I mm -hmm. think I was lucky then going overseas in an expat community where everybody was a little bit needy for friends. It was actually harder when I came back to Australia to live and mm -hmm. trying to, to reconnect with, with old friends because people sort of moved on. But my emotional supports in a lot of ways are the same yeah. because 
I have people that I trust who I can talk to. But I don't have that sense of community that we talked about, you know, in that community in the fold episode. Mm -hmm. That certainly doesn't exist. And I miss that. I miss that dearly. Um, I used to sort of think, oh, it's like being in high school, you know, being in church and think, oh, I'm so glad to put that away. But there was that sense of community yeah. that I that I really missed. But one other thing I will say is the people that I have in my life now, I trust far more than the people I necessarily had in my church life. Like I wouldn't have mm. gone to pastors and told them about my real struggles yeah. and my real concerns or my real battles because you don't know how they're going to judge you. Whereas I think the relationships I've got now, the people that I really trust, I can tell them almost anything. Yeah, that's great. Do you think that's a, also an evolution with your maturity or is it reflective of the, the group that you trust? I think yeah. it's both. But, you know, it was a lot easier to make friends when you were younger than it is yeah. now. And so yeah. friendships are more important. And I think we guard them a lot more than we did back then. But in terms of, you know, poker asked about who do you ask about your doubts? I don't really ask anyone. I find out for myself now. And mm. I think that's key. You know, I, I do a lot of reading, I, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's books or websites or blogs or podcasts or whatever it is, I, I go and I immerse myself in things and find out. I don't yeah. need to go to an authority as much as I used to. What about you? Yeah, look, it, it sort of folds back to Isaac's question in a way. That that sense of congregation, the community, um, is something very much like you. I there was a gap when when I left, um, and when I decided to break away from the church space. Like for me, that actually happened around the, the time I divorced. So it was a sort of a a double down in lonely time, um, because as you know, in divorce, quite often your friends pair off, uh, dependent on uh, which allegiance they want they want to stick with. I missed that for a long time. It was really difficult. And I'm someone who makes friends really easily. And at that time, I found myself actually turning towards work friends a lot more because it was it was easier. Um, and I found that sense of community with work. Now, that was quite a few years ago, um, and I've certainly moved on since then. And I've got a really good established group of very close friends who definitely we, we check in on each other. We can say anything to each other and there's there's no judgment so I think that's a great place, but it's taken a long time to get there. I found it easier within the church scene, and I think it was it was something that was quite inherent. And obviously, it's dependent on the the individual church that you went to and the culture that was developed. But the culture, I think, for most of the places I was at, was a really supportive culture, and I, I think some of it was. You know, if you're a relatively likable person, you'll be invited into the fold. Um, and it's easy because you could see a lot of people that weren't invited in and it was harder on them. So there's a lot of personality stuff in there as well. There was a difference for quite a time. That difference is gone now. And maybe I had to learn the skills to be able to develop that outside of the church space. But I've certainly developed those. Yeah, very good. I mean, we we kind of both are telling the story of, yeah, it's okay, but doesn't mean it wasn't hard at times. And it also doesn't mean that others haven't faced a real challenge and really miss that. And I think sometimes people go back, yeah. people go back to fundamentalism, you know, Pentecostalism, whatever, they they go back because they miss that and they don't, they don't find that in the sort of larger society. And, you know, who's going to judge them for that? Absolutely. It, it hurt. Um, it absolutely hurt um, knowing that some people didn't really want to associate you. It wasn't the fact that you're excommunicated or anything, but you weren't within their bubble anymore. So it was a bit too much hard work to engage with you because you weren't coming to those common groups together, whether it be a Bible study, whether it be a church meeting, a youth group meeting, or obviously I was a bit old for youth group when I left, but those sort of meetings, unless you're actually coming to those, it's a bit of an effort outside of those. So yeah, difficult time. Yeah, sure. Hey, I like the next question. This one's cool. Um, mm. The the person calls themselves a dork and they're <laughs> from Holland. So this is our first international question. Hello, dork from Holland. Yep. And it is, hey, I love your podcast. I feel incredibly understood. Considering you still have friends in the church, how does it feel to see them raise their children 
within Pentecostalism or Christianity in general? I ask because that is for me personally probably the biggest trigger, seeing Christian friends teach their children the same things that have caused me so much pain and trauma. And then he also says, much love from the Netherlands. Yeah, I love it. I feel love from the Netherlands. It's fantastic, especially from their um, little hash cookie cafes. Mm. Um, I'm just going to gloss over the fact that you're on drugs. You know, we've we've hinted to the fact, or more than hinted, that I had an angry atheist stage. And so I have children. And it was very much conscious for me to say, am I going to raise my kids with a belief in God or not? And Mm. it was like, well, at that point in my life, no, I'm not. And so I intentionally moved them right away from any sort of belief in God. They would talk to me about God and I'd say, no such thing. I talked to them about the, you know, the flying spaghetti monster God. I talked to them about the giant teapot between Earth and Mars and that could be there and God could be next to it. You know, the the whole bit, I gave them all that sort of atheist line. And so I raised them very much not believing in God. And then later, when I had my sort of mystical experience, just to confuse them, I went back and told them, oh, by the way, and they sort of, you know, let me know, oh, secretly, we kind of always believed anyway, Dad, it's all good. Watching people raise their kids in fundamentalism, I am so glad that I kept my own kids out of that, even if it was true, because almost every one of them that I know are somehow messed up by it there's very few that aren't and you know they're they're reading the books they're listening to to our podcast you know there's there's so much anecdotal evidence to say this is not good for kids yeah no very true look I, i think for me i i didn't really keep contact with too many people that i would be concerned about raising their kids within pentecostalism i had some quite progressive friends so i think that they were also questioning around that that similar time, but there was definitely a few that I probably I didn't keep contact with, but I knew of. One that comes to mind was someone that rang me only probably about two years ago, and their adult daughter, probably in her early twenties at that time, was wanting to study the degree that I have, and the degree that I have. He's quite seen quite worldly within church circles. She rang me very concerned that her daughter would be deconverted by taking part in that course and and learning different things that wasn't within the constructs of the church. She asked me, and I mean, she knew that I wasn't involved in church anymore. She probably doesn't know what I believe, um, anything like that, but was really digging away to go, is this going to destroy my daughter? And I was like, well, I don't, in my opinion, won't destroy your daughter. It'll actually empower your daughter to actually ask those questions that she should have been asking and you as a parent should have been encouraging her to ask a long time ago. I imagine that she still went on to study the course I studied and I don't know where she's at now. That was probably two, three years ago that I had that conversation. But anyone who is within the scene who I would be concerned at bringing up kids, I disassociated from quite a long time ago. But I, like UT, I would be quite concerned about somebody bringing their kids up in that scene without actually helping them to question along the way and being a little bit more uh, open-minded, I guess. Mm. It seems to me that a lot of the people that go the distance in Pentecostalism were the ones that were born into it. Mm. You know, I, I, certainly there are people that convert and, and you know, stay in it. But I, I think in terms of our peers, yeah. more people are out than in. Oh, definitely. You know, so yeah. so I think there is a place for the indoctrination and the you know, conforming their minds to the image of Christ or whatever mm-hmm. it is that they want to say, um, but it, it, it keeps them in there. So I think, yeah. I think you know, from a Pentecostal perspective, there's a place for that. But I think standing on the outside, I'm just looking at it going, this is just not good for anyone and certainly not good for the kids. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm really glad I didn't raise my kids in this. I'm really glad I left before I had kids. Because yeah. I think, you know, they, they'd be coming to me and saying, my therapist said, and pointing the finger at me. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think that regardless of whether it's Pentecostalism or whether it's any lifestyle that doesn't allow you to look outside and question and try and contextualise in different ways is a dangerous place. And Pentecostalism falls into that, for sure. Yeah. Now, the next one is 
I think it's clearly pointed to me. Are your brothers still in church, B? Yeah, uh, one is. One has fallen back into there, wasn't there for, for quite a while, um, and a lot of stuff going on in their life. The other one, I think they habitually go. That's it. There's nothing behind it. There's no there's no faith, I guess, driving it. They just go because for 30-odd years it's been habitual, pretty hard to break away from that space. Their family goes, as in their, their wife, their kids. In short, they both go, but both are in quite different positions. I am going to ask the next one to you, T, and that was uh, is from Daniel on Facebook. I, I do feel like it's a bit of a telethon. We're asking, it's like Daniel from Facebook. Uh, Daniel from Facebook has given five dollars. <laughs> if we read out his name, and I'll read it again, Daniel, yeah, it was ten dollars. How was leaving the religion handled by those who remained? How were you treated? Oh, this is season two. Basically, that's what this one's all about, where we're going to go with season two. The majority of them didn't take it well. Mm. I even had some very dear friends who didn't take it well. And I think that was because, if it hasn't become clear, I really did believe this. I really did live it. You know, I was I was a leader. I was, you know, in positions of leadership. I I lived this Pentecostal Christian faith. You're and a zealot. I was very much. And to then turn around and say, no, don't believe it anymore, and leave, was, I think, very challenging to a lot of people. Yeah. But, you know, coming back to what you said, B, before, I think my divorce was more polarizing than actually mm. leaving the church. So I think more people looked at me divorcing my, my then-wife as a betrayal of God and Jesus and everything more than just stopping going to church. Because yeah. I think a lot of people see you can stop going to church and then go back later on. Yep. But divorce is pretty much final unless you're, you know, Don Johnson mm. and Melanie Griffith, who <laughs> seem to get married three or four times. That's that's pretty much it. And as we know, that's largely in Pentecostalism, at least when we were there, that was the unforgivable sin. Yeah. So I think that was more polarizing. But then, to be honest, those two things were sort of mixed up as well. So a lot of people got quite mean. I remember when I came back from overseas and started reaching out to people, the coldness from, yeah. from a number of them. And some of them actually said to me, oh, I'm actually friends with your ex-wife. Oh, yeah. And they That's made right. it very clear, oh, this is the side I've chosen, so don't call me again, you know. Oh, they didn't they didn't quite put it like that, but that's pretty much what came across. Food, um, yeah. yeah, so so that was a mix. And, and again, B, that's another episode to, to, to discuss mm. all that. But I think most people couldn't handle it. Very few could. I think some of them, when I adopted a little bit more of a spiritual outlook rather than the angry atheist, even though I wasn't a Christian, some of them yeah. were a little bit more welcoming then. I think they were more threatened by by the atheism than by leaving. Yeah. Um, because I think a lot of people have a very fragile faith. I'm not saying everybody does, but I think a lot of people really do, and they really do their best to keep anything that's going to challenge their faith or, you know, break the foundations of their faith. They like to keep it at a distance. Mm. And so I don't know if it was always personal, but can I say, God, it felt personal at times. Oh, absolutely. What about you? Well, quite similar, and I think that, similar juncture around divorce was sort of <laughs> it's a point of no return um not that you know i mean particularly the church i last went to was very accepting of people who were divorced it wasn't an issue at all but for me i think i probably if i reflect on it, i used it as a time to break away it, it had been a long time coming for me i was one of those people who were habitually going I had some fantastic connections with people i had some of the closest friendships that I had had in years. How did it work out? Look, I think there's two stages. When I left Great Big AOG, I was reasonably detached from a lot of people, um, and I think it was convenient for them because I'd left and I'd been accused of being a pew warmer because I was going to a lesser spiritual church, which was a Baptist at the time. The last one I was at was a, a Church of Christ. Uh, a lot more people were very accepting i still have contact with a lot of people from there and it's been over 10 years or around 10 years something like that 
I think they were a very different mix of people. Grace was actually lived, and I still get along with those people really well. We still have some fundamental differences. A couple of good friends of mine are ministers, but we have a really respectful conversation with each other. Like, it's not an issue for them that I believe what I believe or don't believe what they believe. We come together, I think, and we connect on a different level, and we have that base of friendship because of it. I wasn't ostracised in the whole, but I was definitely ostracised by many in different areas, and particularly as a result of divorce of people taking sides. And I just, I cut and run. I left it. I just couldn't be bothered putting the effort in. There was enough emotional turmoil as a result of divorce, and I didn't have the energy to put into those relationships where that was just a little bit too hard, and I never went back to try you know what happened for me, though? Even though I was overseas, Facebook came along. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden I was connected with people, which I think in a different time you would have walked away and never seen them again. Mm. With Facebook, all of a sudden we were in each other's face with a book. And so I remember when Facebook first came along and, and the confronting of the way that we were in each other's lives and people were saying things and I was saying them, things to them. I was thinking someone's going to write a PhD about this quite confronted by seeing these people again in their rejection, which I think in a different time, you would never have to have seen them again. Yeah, true. And and you were in your angry atheist stage. I was, yeah, yeah, and um, happily so. All right, I'm going to read the next one. Are you ready? We're moving into the anonymous. We are. This is, this is anonymous from Facebook. <laughs> in your opinion, does Christianity and Pentecostalism in particular prevent people from growing up properly? I mean, the fact is mostly about conforming to standards of behaviour and avoiding sin and upsetting God, the literalism that constrains people, thinking the way 95% of sermons are about what people should be doing better, the way adults are called children of God or sheep and are always waiting for daddy to intervene and fix them and make their life easier. Look, I think any social construct, um, and and again, I'll, I'll sound like I'm um, banging on about this, but any social contract, construct that locks it, itself down and doesn't allow you to look outside it and um, have reference points outside of that, I think prevents you growing up properly. Pentecostalism absolutely does that. It it locks you in. Generally speaking, this is generally speaking, it's not every Pentecostal church, but um, certainly my experience has been it locks you into a way of thinking. It locks you into a particular bubble that absolutely you don't grow up properly you don't learn how to deal with things in an effective way living within broader society and quite often i think you see that particularly with kids who've grown up in the church they don't have another reference point they go to university and they either freak out or they backslide they go into a, an, another space of kicking their heels up and going hey this is a world i haven't seen before and don't know how to process it it's it's really bad, and that's where I think it, it sits on the edge of cultishness for me. How about you, T? Yeah, well, I definitely saw that when I came into Great Big AOG after spending a few years in between the Revival Centre and Great Big AOG. Mm. I definitely came into Great Big AOG and thought that the kids in the youth group were seemingly, I'm just going to make an arbitrary number, but seemingly two to three years younger than their peers on the outside. And I, when I left the Revival Centre and went into, in adverted commas, the world, I wasn't ready. I yeah. certainly wasn't ready, even though I'd gone to school and, you know, hung out with friends at school and everything. There had been a lot of the stunting. And I had this warped view. I thought everybody in the world was was bad and, you know, doing all these horrible you – know, and, and so many people don't. So many people are really good people and quite moral yeah. and, you know, not lying, stealing, cheating, you know – promiscuous you know it just not everybody is at all and so i wasn't prepared for that but but in answer to the question in terms of adults 100 percent, i yeah. think any sort of like you said any sort of restrictive culture emotionally or, or psychologically is going to hold back growth it's going to restrict growth yeah. and and I, i've seen that in myself i've seen it in, in my friends no doubt and, and yeah. that's another reason why I say, ultimately, this stuff's not good for you. Yeah, 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 that's right. There, I think there's another, just a little little quick quiz at the end there. What's your least favourite word in Christianese? Fornication. <laughs> Californication. 
No, fornication, because that's what I got kicked out of the revival center for. <laughs> I'll be okay. No, you will be. You'll be. Yeah, I don't like fornication. Who says that? Hey, baby, can I buy you a beer? Let's Let's go fornicate. fornicate. (laughs) I mean, it's a great pickup line. It's probably seldom used. Look for me. I don't. I I don't know. I hate them all. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I hate any jingoistic bloody rubbish. Fellowship. I remember I was I was working with someone who was a Christian recently, and they started talking about how they had good fellowship with their family, and I just Mm. looked at them and just thought, oh fuck off. I didn't say it. I just thought it was just like, fuck off. Go and fucking fellowship elsewhere. In my profession, um, wisdom is used a lot. So practice wisdom and things like that. And that triggers me sometimes. But I also use it. I also use it. But uh, sometimes it triggers me. Yeah, I remember I brought that up with you once when I was in the angry atheist stage and you said something about wisdom. And I, was, and I said, what do you mean fucking wisdom? <laughs> Who's wisdom? Now I'm I'm not so bad with wisdom. I think you know, especially around the Buddhist tradition, it, it means a different thing. It does, and um, it was. I think my bent was very much about knowledge without wisdom, and how dangerous it was. How dangerous it was because you know, so a lot of people have got a lot of knowledge and they know stuff, but if they don't know how to apply it, well, they're a bit shit. Um, I'm going to ask you the next one, which again is from anonymous. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts and reflections about progressive Christians uh, with a Pentecostal or charismatic heritage who are trying to shape a more holistic, contemplative, caring, life-giving expression of faith and justice. People like, and a few examples, Jonathan Martin, Sarah Bessie, Chris Green, Carlos Rodriguez, I'm going to throw in Rob Bell into that, uh, liberation theology, biblical scholarship, uh, science, LBGT inclusion, and Christian universalism. Until you said Rob Bell, my answer to that was going to be, I don't know any of these people, yeah, and I don't I, know any of these names. That's why I threw Rob Bell in. Yeah, well, I don't know if Rob Bell was. I mean, he was definitely mega church, but I don't know if he was Pentecostal. Yeah, or charismatic. Sure. Yeah, because he because he never really talks about that when I when I listen to his stuff. Look, we we say progressive now. I think I said this in another episode. We used to call it liberal, small l liberal, theologically liberal. And so liberals were the devil when we were Pentecostal. Yeah. And then somehow that, I think that, you know, became a label that people have moved away from. I don't want to be seen as a liberal. So they've sort of, you know, made this term progressive. Yeah. I think I think it's great. Okay, I I really do. I think that sort of stuff, anyone who's, you know, going to hold on to their identity and say, okay, that's fine, but I'm going to uh, reshape this, remake this, I'm going to look for the good. So having not read any of these guys and girls, but seeing that you're saying they're more contemplative, caring, you know, life-giving expression, you know, liberation, biblical scholarship, fantastic. Go for it. 100% on board. And as a matter of fact, I read this kind of stuff sometimes none of those names and i and i draw some value because i still you know i I existed in that framework for so long that i know the language and i know the expression so even though i consider myself to more resonate with sort of judaism or with buddhism i still very much draw on progressive christianity and think there's a lot of value in it yeah look i agree i mean there's still a few i follow on facebook and also subscribe to some emails from uh, this guy, Shane Claiborne. I don't know if you've heard of Shane. Tony Campolo, you know, red-letter Christian stuff. However, for me, they're, they're certainly not fundy or evangelical. I think they've definitely stepped away from that space. Um, but I really enjoy reading their stuff. I don't agree with it at all. Actually, I don't agree with much of it. But the bits I do resonate with, particularly around that social justice stuff, the thing that I see, the thing that first attracted me to the person of Jesus or the stories of Jesus were about how he stepped in and he stuck up for people, that he didn't like the establishment, all that sort of stuff. I really, I still resonate with that. I don't resonate with the whole, you know, Jesus is God and stuff like that. That's, you know, that's a different story. But certainly I really enjoy the the narrative around that space. Yeah. The, the the irony is that Jesus was anti-empire. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the empire that strung him up yep. on the cross. And then his religion became the religion of that self-same empire. 
you know, yeah. just a, a few hundred years later. I mean, that's just amazing. But I, I like what Rob Bell says about this. Rob Bell really says that, you know, this religion is really anti-imperialism and anti the status quo. You know, if you can rediscover that, then this religion is actually really valuable. But like yeah. you, I'm not necessarily going to jump onto deity of Christ or, you know, literal resurrection and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think you need to to find value in the story of Jesus or the story of the Old Testament prophets. You know, their, their fight the power, liberation theology stuff. I think it's brilliant. Unless, of course, you're a fundamentalist who says if you don't believe that Christ rose from the dead, you're screwed. We've got a double banger coming up here. Were there positives for you guys that came out of your experiences as teeny bopper fundies? And T, that's your word, teeny bopper fundies. You, yeah, like you definitely coined that phrase. Yeah. It's like, um, I've said it before, it's like Lady Gaga has the monsters. I wanted yeah. us to have teeny bopper fundies. But I'm not saying that to patronise anyone. I'm one of them. That's all right. Most of us were. So any of that stuff that carries you through today? Yeah, well, isn't that what we said is one of our intents for this podcast series, right, was to make sure that it doesn't just become a negative fest, that we yep. don't just put a, you know, a complete negative spin on this, that we actually do look at the things that were of value. And I think, you know, some of my ability to to network, I think I said in another episode, my ability to speak publicly, you know, if it wasn't for being a teenage fundamentalist, we wouldn't have the fun of making a podcast, would we? <laughs> That's right. Silver linings. Yeah. But I think some of my friendships, some mm. of my some of my relationships with people. You're talking that, about me. I, I am talking about you, but I'm talking about others as well. So don't um no, don't no. don't go out in the wind. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of really good friendships that I have and people that, you know, that I connect with. But for what it's worth, I think I could have had a lot of that without, you know, without being a, a, a teeny bopper fundy what about you what are some of the positives oh look i think the profession i'm in today um i was led there by my time in the church scene not so much fundy um it obviously started there and had its roots there um but definitely around um it, it definitely led me into a helping profession that i'm in today um but i think also like you the confidence um the self-belief i think i've, I've talked about this um early back probably in my conversion story episode one where i spoke about i, I wasn't a, a confident i was a self-doubting person and i came into the pentecostal scene and it gave me confidence it gave me self-belief i had acceptance so i think that sort of stuff really helped build me as a person notwithstanding the fact i had to deconstruct that to reconstruct the life i have now after coming out a bit damaged but that still was a legacy of it, I think, that um, gave me a good foundation. Yeah, I, look, I, I think for me too, that whole performance aspect, because, you know, in the, in the job that I do now, I work in the corporate sphere and I do a lot of, I actually have evangelist in my title uh, on paper um, mm -hmm. that I'm, you know, trying to steer people towards technology and I'm trying to influence people. And there's that whole performance side of it that I think I, I think I had a, a natural skill in that, but I think that the whole Pentecostal scene gave me a place to really practice that and hone those skills. So I think that's something that certainly came out of it. The second part of that, that question from Anon, uh, any recommendations around unpacking and processing out of the anger and feelings of betrayal that come up during defunding or, or if either of you went through those feelings, what helped you personally? Yeah, look, I spoke about that a moment ago in saying that you can't stay there for too long. I mm. think if I could go back and process this again, I, I would speak to myself and say, don't stay too long. Don't stay too long in the negativity, because I did. Yeah. That being said, I read a lot. I consumed a lot. You know, I, I read the whole, you know, Daniel Dennett stuff and, um, you know, the God delusion and uh, Sam Harris, you know, all, all those kind of folks. I read a lot of that sort of angry atheist stuff and it was really good. I've got to yeah. say, because it helped me break it down and helped me just get rid of it all. And then, you know, like you said, rebuild later on. But again, I think emotionally, it would have been good to have someone that was skilled in people leaving fundamentalism yep. and them guiding me and saying, okay, that's that's true, but what what about the positive side? You know, no one was coming to me and saying that because we talk about angry atheists, you know, as a as a stereotype because a lot of atheists are, and a lot yeah. of atheists are ex fundamentalists. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think I think destroying that that picture of God was important because it set me free to then start to think for myself. But again, you know, I said this nine times, but I'll say it one more time. You just can't stay there for too long because no. if you do, you suffer. Yeah, absolutely. Just perpetuating the damage. What about you? Yeah, look, I think having people to talk to. I mean, it's a it's a no-brainer um, having people help you process it. But I'm also a firm believer that I think we often have the answers within ourselves. We know the answers and sometimes we need assistance to draw it out. So, you know, the, the things that we need to go forward, they're there, but we need some assistance. Whether that is going to a counsellor, whether it's going to a psychologist, you know, you can go to your GP and get a mental health plan. And if you get a good uh, psychologist, you're not much out of pocket per session. Go and start to unpack it a bit. But go to one that perhaps practices something like narrative therapy that can help you to actually rebuild it and refocus um, rather than unpacking it to such a point that you have no idea where to take it from there and you're dependent on them to actually reconstruct it. Don't do that. Connect with people that you know who have left. Connect with people on this Facebook page. A lot of people here, I think, have left and have dealt with that. Reach out, talk, be honest, be honest with yourself also, but also don't be hard on yourself. If there's stuff that you haven't worked out yet, give yourself time. Here I am many, many years on, I still haven't worked it out. I probably never will work it out or die before that ever happens. Don't be hard on yourself. Life is a journey. As tokenistic and ridiculous as that sounds, stick with it. Journey along. The thing to be about fundamentalism and it, you know, this is where it becomes very cultic as well. As it can be a prison of the mind, mm-hmm. and you know, you may be very smart, you may be very compassionate, you may be a really good person, but if if there's been a a maze built in your mind that won't let you out, I think, yeah. you know, for me as as someone that is quite cerebral and likes to read, I, I just consumed a lot of stuff. But ultimately, I did need someone to act as a guide to say, yeah. hey you need to put this down or, hey, you need to you know, investigate cognitive behavioral therapy or, hey, you need to meditate and do some loving kindness meditation and just, just be positive. And, and eventually that came. But I think, you know, in answer to the question, that CBT slash Buddhism stuff is really, really good for staying positive whilst focusing on, on the negative because you do need to focus on it while you process it. So I, I would suggest CBT and I would suggest, you know, I'm, I'm not putting this forward as a religion. I'm saying secular Buddhism. A lot of the Buddhist practice and resilience training and that kind of thing is really good. That positive psychology, I think, is really key. Yeah. Yeah. No, good good tips. Good tips. All right. I'll read the next one, hey? Yeah, why not? So this is Isaac and Isaac is on Facebook and he says, I've been coming out of fundamentalism for a few years now, still associated with a church, but the input from there into my spiritual life is almost zero. I'm feeling out what it means to follow Christ free from the constructs of organized congregational Christianity. I would appreciate your speculation around this question or your experiences if either of you still consider Jesus to be the Christ. Some of this is a season tour, isn't it, really, about where we've got to. However, whether Jesus is the Christ, look, I've I've mentioned this before, you know, no. The the reality is I, I think those constructs, whatever you're doing going forward, a lot of, I read a good book, I can't actually remember the name of it, but it was talking about Christianity in the United States and how most of the people who identified as Christians weren't involved in the church at all like it was 70 percent. it was a huge huge stat if that is what works for you and you want to explore the teachings of christ within that space without that organized congregational christianity as you say then go for it see what that means explore it contextualize it in the world around you rather than contextualizing it within the walls of the church and an organized religion See how it resonates. Um, give it a crack. I mean, if it's not working for you and you're in that church and in fundamentalism with zero feedback, I don't know, ask yourself, why are you there? Are you there because of the social aspect? Are you there because you've got familial pressures to, to remain there? Explore that stuff first. And then as you do that, step out, try different things. Don't judge yourself. Don't let others judge you. Fuck them. You know, you've got to be able to be free to move forward and explore and ask questions. And if people stop you from asking questions, 
then I don't know, look at the value of them in, being in your life because real friends, real people who su are supportive will support you to ask questions and not judge the space that you're, you're moving within. And it doesn't really matter if you believe different things to them because we're not all the same. Rant over. How yeah. about you too? Well, you know, we talked before about progressive Christians and liberal Christians. There was an older guy named Marcus Borg who was um, then a liberal, today would be called a progressive, I'm sure, but he talked about Jesus being a spirit person and that there have been numerous spirit people through, throughout history and some stand out more than others. You know, we've got, you know, some of the Old Testament prophets would be spirit people. We've got, um, you know, the Buddha. We've got, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, others. There would be numerous people that would be considered spirit people. And I think in that sense, Jesus was the Christ. Yep. in the sense that he was a spirit person and that he was a person for his time yeah. and that his words echo on, you know, resonate yeah. on well beyond his life. So in that sense, I think I think I would accept that. But is he the fulfillment of Jewish Messiah and, you know, saviour of the universe and all that kind of stuff? Eh. But I will say that if you want to keep Christianity as a framework, you're not quite ready to step out of that. And then a couple of people that I would recommend that you read and that you explore would one would be Richard Raw, who is a Catholic priest. Yep. Um, he does the Center for Action and Contemplation as well as is, is his organization. I would suggest that you jump into him. Another one would be Rob Bell, who is much mm. more mega church, isn't he? Evangelical yeah. kind of stuff. So I would, and still a Christian, so I would jump into him. And the other one, I would think if you're really feeling like you really want to sort of get out there and get your boundaries tested would be to jump into the liturgists podcasts. Mm. So that's the liturgists. Jump into them because they deconstruct and reconstruct and they've decided to hold on to Christianity as their framework. And some of them would believe in a literal resurrection and some don't and they're still fellowshipping. There's that mm. word. But uh, yeah, that that's what I would say to do. Yeah. And, and I, I would not discourage you from holding on to your Christian framework if it works for you. That's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to tear anyone away from their beliefs or from their faith in Jesus. But we went a different way, didn't we? Yeah, that's right. Look, some of the, as I've said before, I, I still have many dear Christian friends and a couple that are ministers. And, you know, I value them as people and they value me as a person. There is no issue with that whatsoever. So, please please pursue what works for you i'm going to ask you the next one too we're down to our last three questions there has been a few so thank you it's a long podcast extended play for people yeah, extended episode isn't it absolutely but you asked for it you asked for it you asked us questions we're going to answer them so i've silenced my involvement in the aog cult for years alienated family and friends with my zeal still feel like decisions made then have a detrimental effect on my children who are now adults how do I get past this when you don't even talk about it? Still feel shame about falling for such bullshit. You've said BS, I say bullshit. And haven't even started on my experiences in the church. Okay, I don't know if that's a question, but I will respond to it. Yes. And my response to that is very much what we've been talking about today. Mm. Set yourself free. Be gentle with yourself. Start to explore other ideas. You know, you even talked about the impact that it's had on your children. We can't undo that, but maybe have some conversations with your kids, you know, mm. about, hey, I used to I used to do this, I used to believe this, here's what I'm thinking now. Just be really honest and, and open with them because, you know, our brains, the neuroplasticity of our brains, we're all still learning, we're all still changing, it's not too late. We just can't go backwards in time. Speak for Keep yourself. <laughs> Keep listening to the, to the podcast, not because we need your numbers, but because I think... Mm -hmm. You know, it's obviously resonating with you. Get involved in the discussion group and 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 read. That's that's what I found to be really important is to read. But remember I said about that positive psychology stuff, look for ways to draw the positive out of it and to move forward. Don't be stuck in regret. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And look, I, I mean, I obviously relate to this. I've, I've spoken many times where I um, have always found it very difficult to speak about my faith. So it's a bit different. I didn't alienate people with my zeal. Um, <laughs> I just, um, I, I didn't really witness to them or hit them up, but I always felt ashamed about speaking about the fact that I was involved in this Pentecostalism because I found it a little bit weird, even being in there and being part of it. And and I, I think, you know, when I reflect, I know that from the outsiders, people looking in would have gone, what the hell are you involved with? And and I found that a little bit difficult to, to handle. But 
as T said, go easy on yourself. Feeling shame, I mean, that's something that others can bring upon you, but I think quite often we bring upon ourselves. So we've got to be graceful, extend grace to ourselves. And I don't say that in a Christianese way, but grace is a great thing which we can extend grace and forgiveness um, it's a very 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 powerful tool um, forgive yourself forgive others and find a way to move forward yeah i think that's really key b uh, it's forgiveness and yep. forgiving the people that hurt you forgiving the churches you know it doesn't mean you're saying it's okay and wishing them well is 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 i think really key to to healing yeah absolutely when you can get there if you can't get there right away it's okay yeah that's right and talk to others if if you're a talker talk if you're a reader read you know if you're a meditator meditate whatever helps you yeah okay next question is from sean on facebook and he says this is this is a deep one do you think the manipulation of behaviors through guilt and shame was malicious or ignorant Look, I think it was both. Um, I think there were some people that absolutely, absolutely used manipulative tools to control people and loved the recognition of that, the control that they were able to uh, have over people. But I think in large, I would like to think that most people were ignorant and that they were actually brought up within a culture that, that was normalised and that's what you did and that's how you actually operated i think you, you do see people you know televangelists and such that i think you know a lot of that is absolutely pure manipulation and bloody evil but i think the vast majority of people that the circles i moved within it was ignorance and i think a lot of those people would actually look back on that time and recognize the ignorance that they displayed at the time how about you t yeah i think some of them would some of them would look back um some. maybe even most of them but but certainly not all of them. There's, there's, it's not black and white. You can't look at it and go, were they malicious or were they ignorant? I think sometimes it was a combination of both. I think, you know, it's sometimes in exactly the same situation, someone could be op operating out of a degree of ignorance and a degree of, of malice. By and large, it was a system. We were conditioned by the system. And the reason I say that with some air of confidence is because if I can't believe that of others, how can I believe that of myself? Mm. Because the stuff that I did, I mean, I've mentioned, I, I wrote letters to people and said, I'm sorry for, you know, there was something in me niggling that saying, maybe this isn't the right thing to do at, at, at the time. But the system said, this is what you do, you know, and so you sort of went along with it. So I think, you know, part of our desire to say, you know, not to use people's names when we're disparaging them, you know, instead we just call them pastor this and pastor that, you know, in, intentionally doing that like we do in the podcast is because, to quote scripture, the measure you use will be the measure you used against you. Sorry if I triggered anyone then. And so if you're going to use that measure against other people, then you've got to use it against yourself. And if you want to be forgiven by yourself and forgiven by others, forgive them too. I think it's a combination of both, but I think it all needs forgiveness that said if someone is still continuing in that behavior then they need to be called out yeah absolutely and look i think we've admitted on more than one occasion through the last 19 episodes that um, we have used manipulative behaviors before as well so we've intentionally done it but i think it was uh, very very much a minority and but it does happen i think this is the last question from kerry yeah. so there seems to be a culture within many a double c churches the australian christian churches where ministers have to attend so many church meetings that their family life suffers that this is expected and many people's marriages break up do either of you have any thoughts on this as ministers in training now i'd like to say that i was a minister in training you were an actual minister no actually i was still a minister in training because my really? yeah my certification uh, i can't remember the actual term they used never actually came through it was it was put uh -huh. in it was being processed and then i withdrew it so technically uh -huh. i was never actually a minister i too was a minister in training i can remember when i went to the every believer evangelism course run by tony van brown he actually said i can't remember the actual joke and maybe avb you can put it in the in the chat but you said something about becoming a pentecostalism and not having any sorry becoming a pentecostal and not having any time because it mm. takes up all your life i saw a lot of that 
the ministers were doing nine to five and then they're out for night meetings and home groups and all this, you know, and youth and this and that. And, you know, you and I did it as well, B. We were, yeah. you know, busy all the time. And that must put a massive impact, a massive stress on families. And in fact, we know that it does. I, I can't speak to marriages that are broken up. I know that there have been a couple, but I can't speak to why that happened because I was never privy to the to the inner workings. Um, yeah. I, I would suggest that it's probably deeper than just the time and you know attention that people are or aren't giving to each other. I think that there's probably a lot of stuff going on that the system is not good for honesty and honesty in relationships and intimacy and and that kind of thing. So I, I think it's probably a lot deeper than that. But I definitely think it's a a factor in breaking people down and breaking people up. Yeah, and I think it's probably the superficiality of the response that people quite often get when they're struggling too. It was like, oh, I'll pray for your brother or sister. You know, that's what you get rather than a, a true support. So if someone said, oh, God, you know, my, my life is falling over because I just haven't got time for everything, it was usually the answer was to pray for someone. I think, um, you know, I saw over and over again, there's a really poor management by the church of a work-life balance of any of the ministers. There was an expectation, but I think there was also probably the flip side of that was they enjoyed the recognition as well. There was a high importance, particularly in large Pentecostal churches, um, that you were seen. It was evident that you were at this and you were at that. You got recognition for it and you were, you were definitely put up on a pedestal and literally at great big AOG that you were on a pedestal on the stage quite often. So I, I think they need to get better at that. Organisations, secular organisations, community organisations that treat their staff that way, don't keep their staff. I work for a big organisation that if they don't provide a work-life balance, they lose people and people move on to where there is a, a work-life balance. I think that's harder within a church because it's the deeper purpose that it provides when you are a minister. You can't just move on and go, oh, I'll just get another job because a lot of the time it's all they've ever known um, and that's their identity, their core identity. So leaving that behind isn't an option. So you just keep pushing on and on and on. And, and I think a lot of partners are long-suffering partners that just accept the fact that they're going to have absentee husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, whatever, um, as a result of the greater sacrifice of ministry. And I think that is really, really poor form to allow that to happen. And I would hope that that's getting better. I don't know if it is, but I would hope that within the scene it's getting better. Yeah, I think, that, look, that's the carrot was, you know, the status and being put on the pedestal. But I think the flip side of that, the stick, is the guilt. There yep. would have been a lot of guilt as well. You know, oh, brother, you know, you're serving the Lord and this is what the Lord expects when who who decides that, right? Mm, absolutely. Well, again, thank you, everyone, for all those questions. I mean, there was lots there. I think there was 13 or 15 questions or something, and I enjoyed having a chat. We didn't come into it again. This is, seems like a theme for us. We didn't come in for, with a plan. We just thought we're just going to chat to them and, and talk about what we thought about a lot of them, but it was enjoyable just to, to have a bit of a look. You might want to reflect a little bit on it. Yeah, well, I, I guess I just want to say thank you to everyone that's been a part of you know, this journey so far of season one, because we've really enjoyed doing this and we've really enjoyed the fact that you're even tuning in and listening, which is great. We plan to take probably about a month off. We will certainly announce a few weeks in advance when we're coming back, but it'll be at least a month, maybe a little bit more. Um, and then we're going to come back with season two. And so for season two, B. Yeah, so look, season two, I think we're going to, you know, we'll mix it up. We'll do a few things different. We haven't determined exactly what the format will look like, but we're certainly excited about bringing a few more guests in. I mean, it was fantastic to have uh, Anthony Van Brown in for three episodes, um, but we've got a few more coming up and some are really excited about one that I have loved. I have absolutely loved Tara Jane Stephen, uh, Tara Jean Stephen, sorry, who is the, she presents the Heaven Bent. Um, there's two seasons of it i think isn't there t and um one's been on the toronto blessing and one's been about bethel church and i found it fascinating it's just been a window into the world which because i left great big aog around the time that toronto was sort of blowing out um it was something that i ignored and missed so it was it's fascinating are you excited about that one yeah, very much so. I mean, her, her podcast is really slick and really nice, and I'm really looking forward to to her coming on and talking about what she 
where she's come from because she grew up as a teenage fundamentalist herself, um, mm. but also her journey around, you know, lifting the lid on Toronto Blessing and lifting the lid on Bethel. I think she's been very fair with both of them. You, you don't yeah. walk away going, oh, this is all shit. You actually walk away going, okay, there was some good in this and some bad in this. And I think that's where we resonate because that's what we try mm. and do as well. So I'm really looking forward to that. The other person I'm looking forward to that we've got lined up is Tanya Levin, who wrote the book on Hillsong people in glass houses she's also been a member of our facebook group so i'm really looking forward to getting her in and talking with her about you know her journey inside what later became hillsong which then you know hills christian life center but also the writing of her book and where yeah. that whole thing has taken her because she's become sort of a spokesperson uh you know an icon for this you know people that have left hillsong so we, we've definitely got some some guests lined up and some other people that we would love to get on. We can't name them yet because we haven't booked them, but that would be really, really cool. Of course, we're going to keep weaving our own stories in there as well. Talk about, you know, our own journeys and, you know, the good and the bad in that. And I think, B, you'd agree that we're going to still talk a little bit more about being inside Great Big AOG and inside Pentecostalism, but then we're going to start to move into the leaving so that's where we're going to go with season two. So if you're waiting for us to tell you about, you know, why we left, how we left, what happened, definitely going to be coming up in season two. Yeah, and look, I think for both of us, it's an incredibly long journey. Like it wasn't something that um, we woke up overnight and went, oh, it's Tuesday, it's time to leave the Penty scene. Um, you know, it was something, there was a lot of influences that happened over a number of years. So it certainly won't be summed up in one, two or three episodes, that's for sure. And it'll probably be peppered through a lot of the, the themes as we we weave through season two. Excellent end of season one. The ultimate episode is done. So it's uh, it's the end. It is the end of the uh, the season. We are finished. We are wrapping up. We're excited about a break, but also excited about coming back. For now, T, it is farewell. To you listeners, it is farewell. But it's not goodbye. Indeed. And can I also suggest that everyone remember to get vaccinated and stay safe. And we'll see you in a month and a bit. See you then.